0: Welcome to Identity Church Sunday Morning Message, where sonship is revealed. Stay tuned at the end of this message to receive more information about resources available through Identity Church. Now grab your Bible, sit back, and enjoy a message from Identity Church that is already in progress. I appreciate the opportunity to share with you guys this morning. Um, This is my, my first time in the pulpit. And in, in over a year, so it's nice to be in this, have this privilege again. Uh, the last year, this, we've been here almost a year now, um, and it's been a good year. Uh, it's been a year of growth and a year of challenge, and um, and we have we thoroughly enjoyed our time here and in, in our in our time here, and we look forward to enjoying many more years. I, I thought that sounded like I was getting ready to say bye. Not saying bye, but uh, but we but we like it here. This is a quite a different church from what we've used, to, what we're used to, quite different from churches that we've served in. Um, but we uh, but we like it, and it appears to be where God wants us because He He said, "This is where you're going to be." So we are. <laughs> so anyway, I want to talk a little bit about power and purity today. Some time ago, around the first of the year, um, Pastor Charlie said that we would become a church of purity and power. And that thought just intrigued me. You know, what would a church look like if it was characterized by purity and power? And more importantly than that, what would my life look like if it was characterized by purity and power? and so i asked god about that and the lord has been showing me some things over the last several months of what that would look like and one of the things that he made perfectly clear to me is that i'm not there yet but but i'm on the but i'm on, but i'm on the journey and and th- these are not and what i want to share is four areas that that God has revealed to me that I need to work on. Perhaps as we go through it, you'll see areas where you need to work on. This is not four easy steps to purity and power, not that kind of sermon at all. It's just like four areas that I think we need to work on. So the first area that I think we need to work on, I need to work on, is that area of humility before God. Humility before God. If you will, look at Isaiah chapter 6 and verse verses 1 through 5. We'll read those. In the year King... I'll give you a minute to get there. I'm sorry. Let me start rushing too fast. I know it's on the screen too. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah was overwhelmed by the holiness of God. He was overwhelmed by the majesty of of God, the awesome power of God. He became undone. He was falling apart before holiness. He was torn out of the frame. Y'all know what torn out of the frame is. That's a theological term used mostly in North Carolina. But it means he was beside himself with, with, with confusion and upset and brokenness because he had seen a holy God. We need to become undone before a holy God. We need, We. need. I think we have a tendency to minimize God or to try to bring Him down to, to our level. He is not like us. He is so much more than we are. He is so much more powerful than we are, more holy than we are. He is really not like us. And we need to stand in awe of Him and reverence him for his greatness, his holiness. I, I know we talk about God being our our friend and 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 we put we put bumper stickers on cars that God is my co-pilot and 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 that's nice. I think maybe if we made him the pilot, our lives would be better. But but and we try to find a way to make him like us, but he's not like us. He's worthy of our praise. The Lord is great and greatly to be praised, the Psalm says. And we need to we need to spend more time in personal praise. I do. We need to spend more time in personal praise of Him. It's great when we come together and we worship and we sing praises to God. But if that's all, if this is the only time we do it, we're not praising Him enough. We need to praise Him every day. Everything on earth gives praise to Him. We need to praise Him all the time for His goodness to us. The fact that we all woke up this morning and came here is a gift from God. And we need to understand that. and We need to welcome that. And we need to rejoice in that. That the Holy God, the Creator of the universe and all that is, is worthy of, Worthy of our praise. He spoke the world into existence with a word. He can change your life with a word. He can change my life with a word. He's awesome. He's majestic. He's powerful. He's merciful. He is, he is God, and we are not. And we have to start treating him in that role as God, not as not as the good buddy, not somebody that we're going to like Charlie was saying the negotiating thing. I thought not like somebody that we go sit down with and talk to about um, negotiate with about what God wants for us, and we have our own ideas. You better just chalk those those ideas out the window because God is God. God is God and we are not. He's all-powerful, omnipotent, all-powerful. All the power in the world belongs to Him. All-powerful. He's omniscient. He has all wisdom. All of the wisdom in the world is within God. He's omnipresent. He's all over the place. He is everywhere. God is everywhere. His presence is everywhere. Think about that the next time you're talking to that coworker that rubs you the wrong way. Think about that the next time you get cut off on I-4. That God is present with you. It should change us. We need, to have a healthy, we need to have a healthy fear of Him. Not irrational fear. Not, not scared to death every day that, that, that God is sitting up there in His recliner with a giant flask water, just waiting to swat us when we get out of line. Not an irrational fear, but a healthy fear. A reverential fear. A reverential fear of Him. Where we recognize His holiness and we recognize His greatness. And we recognize His power. And we, be, and we become in awe of Him. When we do that, we begin to love the things He loves and hate the things He hates. It demands change in our life. There's several names for God, but the one I like best, I think, is Father. And our Father God demands change. He is, he, he will accept us just as we are. You know, we sing this, you know, we, we always sang the song in the Baptist church, just as I am. And that's right. God accepts us just as we are, but He does not and will not leave us there. He wants us to change. He wants us to grow day by day coming into the image of His Son Jesus. He wants change. That word Father is used over 200 times in the New Testament, only a handful of times in the Old. He's the perfect Father. He is the perfect Father. Go with me to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. I just want to read some of that. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. He's searched us. He's done an examination of us, so to speak. He knows us. He knows us through and through. He knows our motivations. He knows our thoughts before we think them. He knows our words before we speak them. He knows us. The psalmist goes on and says, You know my sitting down and rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. He's acquainted with all our ways. Our good ways, our good habits, our good practices. And our bad ones or the ones that need to be changed. He's acquainted with us just as we are with all, in all of our ways. Verse 13, I just want to read through that. You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. In your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. He knows us. He's acquainted with all of our ways. And he knew us before we were born. He knew us before we were born. He wasn't surprised at our birth. He was expecting us. And he was already planning for us. We need need a humility before God, a a greater understanding, a a greater experience of the greatness and the awesomeness of God. Because it can be humbling when we see God and see God how he is and see ourselves as we are. It will bring change. It will demand change. What becomes important to him should be becoming important to us. It should change our priorities. It should change our priorities. We should spend more time with him and less less time watching reruns on TV. We ought to spend more time in the book and less time in the newspaper. More time in the Word of God. More time in prayer. More time just talking to God. You know, the Bible, Paul wrote in in 2 Thessalonians that we should pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. And prayer in its simplest definition is just conversation with God, communication. And that tells me that I can go through my day having communication with God, but even more importantly, I can go through my day with God having communication with me, with God talking to me. He's available. He's always available to talk to us. He wants to to enter into our life and be part of that and talk to us as we go through our day. A couple of hundred years or or perhaps more, there was a, a monk named Brother Lawrence and Brother Lawrence wrote a book, a short book, practicing the presence of God. His responsibility in the in the monastery was to do all was to wash the dishes, do all the pots and pans. And as he was doing that, he would carry on a conversation with God. He was practicing God's presence in everything he did. It, it, it wasn't that he waited till he he came to came to a service to practice the presence of God. It wasn't just when he was reading the Bible or just praying or just singing a worship song that he was practicing the presence. He was learning to practice the presence every day. And we need to learn to practice the presence of God every day, to go through every day in that presence. Priorities, how we spend our time, how we spend our talent, how we spend our treasure. Humility will make us teachable, regardless of how much we know. Go with me to um, James 4, verses 6 through 8. The scripture says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. He gives grace to humble people. God doesn't like proud people. He doesn't like us to be proud. It's on the, the big list in Proverbs of the seven things he hates. A, proud, a prideful look is one of them. He doesn't like us to walk around and be proud. He wants us to walk in a humility and a humbleness. Verse 7. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He wants us to submit to him to submit our dreams to him, our wants to him, our life to him, our money to him, our time to him, our abilities to him. He wants us to submit all of those things to him. And as we do that, then we can resist the devil. As we do that, we can resist the devil. And he will flee. In verse 8, he says to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God wants to come near us. God wants to be with us. Draw near, and he will draw near to you. He is the God who wants to spend time with us. He wants to spend time with us. Not just, um, doesn't want us to just work work, um, work him into our schedule. He wants to be the schedule. He wants to be the schedule. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Again, humility before him, a humility before God that will cause us to walk in humility to one another. Unless we come to a place where we recognize where we are in relation to where God is and who God is, we won't walk in humility toward other people. Unless we learn humility toward God, we will not learn and practice humility toward other people. In Romans chapter 12, the Passion Translation says, Live happily together in a spirit of harmony and be as mindful of another's worth as you are your own. Don't live with a lofty mindset thinking you are too important to serve others, but be willing to do menial tasks and identify with those who are humble-minded. Don't be smug or even think about that or even think for a moment that you know it all. Be, Be as mindful of another's worth as your own. Everybody is valuable to God. Be mindful of everybody's worth, everybody that you come in contact, their value and their worth before God. Be willing to do menial tasks. Don't be too proud to clean the church bathroom. Identify with those who are humble-minded and don't be smug or even think for a moment you know it all. Don't you know people who know it all? Nobody in here. <laughs> Not a chance. Dwight L. Moody, an evangelist of many years ago, said of humility, be humble or you'll stumble. Be humble or you'll stumble. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says that pride goes before a fall. Pride goes before a fall, before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. That word haughty means arrogant, conceited. If you see someone who's arrogant, who's conceited, if you're that person who's arrogant and conceited, a fall is right around the corner. There are many many casualties in Christianity of, of, of ministers and lay people that they let their pride get the best of them, and they landed hard. So our humility before God needs to be authentic and real It needs to be genuine. Putting other people first needs to be genuine, not not something we do to make ourselves look good or feel better. It needs to be something that we do out of a clean heart because we're putting the other person's needs first. You know, sometimes what appears to be humility is just selfish pride or false pride we become proud of our humility. Humility comes when we receive on a heart level all that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross, when it moves from our head to our heart. You see, we know, everyone in here knows a lot of facts about God. Everybody in here knows a lot about God. But how much of that knowledge is only in our head, and how much of it has, have we allowed to sink down into our heart? to sink down into our spirit, to where we operate in that knowledge. John Wesley called it mental assent, this idea of believing facts about God but not experiencing God. You know, when we think of everything that he he has accomplished for us, forgiveness of sin and our health and abundance and wisdom and all the gifts that God has given us, and made available to us because of the cross, we should walk in a new humility before Him. A humility before God, a humility before others. The second thing is to repent or turn away from everything in our life that is not like Jesus. Turning away from everything that is not like Jesus. And that begins in our minds, that begins with our thought life. Romans 12:2 Wow, you're really fast up there. <laughs> Getting those verses out there. Romans 12:2 Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that word conform means to shape like another. You see the world wants to shape us. The world wants to mold us into thinking the same way, into saying the same things, into believing the same thing. It wants to mold us into its image. But instead of letting it do that, we need to be transformed. We need to renew our minds. We need to be changed. We need to adjust our thinking to think like God. Because if we're not thinking like God thinks, we're thinking wrong. We can be, we can be politically correct, but biblically wrong. The New Living Translation in that that passage says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person and changing the way we think. Then you will learn God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. So we need to change the way we think. We need a drink of water. Because nobody likes a dry preacher. We need to change the way we think. You know, thoughts go through our mind all the time. Thoughts just flash through our minds all the time. Good thoughts, bad thoughts, negative thoughts, positive thoughts. Thoughts just fly through our head all the time. Thoughts are a lot like birds. You can't, we can't stop a bird from flying over our head, but we can stop it from building a nest in our hair. And thoughts and, and our thoughts are the same way. We can't prevent a stray thought from roaming through our mind, but we don't have to dwell there. We don't have to stop there. We don't have to think about that all day. And surely we don't need to act on that. You know, sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I wake up in the morning and my first thought is negative. I don't know if you, any of y'all have that that problem or not. Y'all, y'all. Might be more spiritual than I am. But I'll wake up and i just have a negative thought, maybe a bill, maybe a memory even from the past. And I have to learn to adjust my thinking, not dwell on that thought of the past. I have to constantly be renewing my mind. It's not a place where you arrive at. I think it's a constant process of renewing your mind of filling yourself with Scripture, thinking the way God thinks about you. You know, sometimes you, we have thoughts of the, maybe of the past, maybe, maybe some painful experience, some failure. And you know, everybody has a past. Everybody has a past. Some of y'all were into some stuff before you became Christians. I was into some stuff. Raise your hand if you were into some stuff before you became a Christian. Okay, we all have a past. We all have a past, and the Apostle Paul had a past. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And beginning with verse 12. Paul was writing, he said, Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead I pressed toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul had a past before he became a Christian. He, you'll remember that he had people he had Christians put in jail, had them beaten, had some killed, all for the faith. He was an enemy of, of he was an enemy of Christians, but then he got saved, and he had to deal with the past. because if you can just use your imagination for a moment. And, and imagine that the, the Apostle Paul was speaking today, and he would be looking out over a congregation of people whose family members and friends he had had killed, or had had beaten, or had had thrown in jail. And he had to, to work with that he, any time he ministered. He had a past. And he had to learn to renew his... That's why he wrote about renewing your mind. He knew he had to renew his. We have to change the way we're thinking. We have to put that past behind us. You know, all of us have gone through situations from the past. All of us at one point in time have been mistreated, lied about, falsely accused, betrayed by by people we trusted. You know, you walk into the Walmart and you see somebody and it triggers... All kinds of thoughts from your past, and you begin reliving the situation. Thoughts create emotion. Thoughts create emotion: anger, sadness, tears, frustration. People can people can trigger you into reliving your past. Things can trigger trigger you into to reliving your past. Um, I, I remember, I remember about 20 years ago. When my son passed away, he was killed in, in an automobile accident. but I remember for days after that, every time I would see the car I would see a vehicle like the one that hit him, I would just be overcome with feelings and emotions from from anger from frustration to tears to it was just a vehicle I was seeing, but just seeing that vehicle, not the same one, but that type of vehicle triggered triggered those emotions, brought me back to a painful place. And it's the same way when, you know, in, in any other situation, we, we can see something, see a person, see a thing, see a place, and it brings all those emotions away and builds up in you and then our thoughts turn into words oftentimes and our words turn into actions and if we don't renew our minds if we don't change our way of thinking we'll hurt one another with our words we'll slander people we'll criticize people we'll insult people we'll gossip about people talk about people some you know some people just love to gossip uh, when when we were in pastoral ministry we 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 learned that there were we learned there were folks who liked to gossip. Gossip seems to be a common problem in most churches, not this one. But in a lot of churches it is a common problem. I know that's shocking to y'all but you know, trust me. You know, it it is not, but but some, you know, some people treat it that way as kind of like the um it was like the um, woman who answered the came up during the altar call one day to a pastor and she had been convicted about her gossiping and she said, Pastor, I just want to lay my tongue on the altar. And the pastor looked at her and said, the altar's not big enough. <laughs> Gossip, slander, criticism, thoughts turn to words. And unfortunately, words Sometimes turn to actions where we physically hurt people. Go with me to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. Now, it doesn't take a lot of fire to start a forest fire. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. The tongue is like a, fly, like a fire. And we need the help of the Holy Spirit to tame our tongue. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to help us not only maintain our self-control and improve our thought life, but we need the Holy Spirit to guide our words to where instead of speaking words of hurt, we're speaking words of encouragement. 2 Corinthians 10. Uh, let's do New King James. For though though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You see, we have to bring our thought life into the obedience of Christ. That word strongholds, Let me me read it to you in the Passion Translation, too. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break down every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. Every thought like prisoners of war. We capture it. We capture that, and we bring it into the obedience of Christ. That word strongholds, Jack Frost in his book, Breaking Down Strongholds, defines it as strongholds are habitual lies that we have embraced at the core of our being. They are built on a foundation of lies and half-truths. They have become a fortress of thought that causes us not to be able to see the truth about God's character within us, habitual lies that we've that we have in the in the core of our being. There are places where we've allowed the the negative attacks of the devil to to infiltrate our minds and in some cases develop a stronghold there, a fortress, a place where a, a place where control or influence has been given to him to operate. And he operates there in that stronghold of thought, in that stronghold of negative thought. He controls us. It He changes the way we're thinking because we, for whatever reason, we've given him room. You know, the Bible says, don't give the devil room. You know, don't rent a room to him. Don't give him a space in your life where he can have influence. Because when he does, he will develop he will form a stronghold of thought that will be opposed to god we need to take every negative thought that we have and nail it to the cross every negative thing and nail it to the cross we need to honor the blood of jesus more than we do we need to honor that we need to honor that blood when jesus died on that cross he died not only to set us free from sin, but to set us free from the negativity, to set us free from the thoughts that haunt us, to set us free from our way of living, from our way of speaking, from our way of acting. He died for our health or abundance. And we need to honor the blood. It, it not only has the power still to cleanse us from sin, but it has the power to cleanse us of everything in us that is opposite of what god is that is opposite of what jesus thinks about us you know to think about ourselves differently than god does is sin to think about ourselves differently than the way god thinks about us is sin and we need to repent and get forgiveness for it and move forward in our lives we need to stop to to <laughs> To think, to, think, to think about yourself differently than how God thinks about you is sin. It's wrong. And you need to ask forgiveness and move forward in your life. Because the way God thinks about us is quite often very different from the way we think about us. The way God thinks about us is sometimes very different about, than, than from how we think about each other. So we need to honor, we need to honor that, that blood of Jesus and we need to honor that new thought process that he wants to give us. We sing the hymn sometimes about the blood of Jesus that reaches to the highest mountain, flows to the deepest valley. The blood that gives me strength from day to day will never lose its power. See, that blood of Jesus not only goes to the mountain, but that blood of Jesus can flow into the valley of wherever you're hurt. It can flow into the valley of wherever you're devastated, to wherever the trauma is, to wherever the chaos is, to where the problem is. It can flow in that valley and it can cleanse you and it can heal you if you'll let it. We need to adjust our thinking and we need to think more about the blood of Jesus. Well, we, let me just sing that song sometime. The blood of Jesus flows into the deepest valley. that place where you are deeply hurt. That place that nobody knows about where you're deeply hurt. The one you don't talk about with anybody. That place that's a secret place, but it's a painful place, and it's a place of hurt, and it's a place of trauma, It's a place of sadness and brokenness. The blood of Jesus can flow into that valley and cleanse you. We need to take everything that's opposite of what God thinks about us and nail it to the cross. We need to take whatever thoughts we might have of anger and nail it to the cross. Whatever thoughts we have of a low self-esteem and nail it to the cross. You know, some of us have been told we'll never make it. Some of us have been told we're, we're this and we're that, and there's that reason. We're too young. We're too old. We're too uneducated. We're too educated. Some of us have been told all kinds of things and have had harmful words spoken over us. And we need to let the blood of Jesus cleanse us from those words that have been spoken over us because those are not the words of God. Those are not the words of the, of the Lord Jesus. They are the, wor- the words of mere people of mere people it doesn't matter a whole lot what people think about me or or what people what others think but it does matter to me what God thinks and i know that i have to keep focused on what does god say about me what does god think about me thoughts of failure thoughts of rejection thoughts of hopelessness thoughts of not being good enough being broken We need to take those thoughts and nail them to the cross and let the blood of Jesus cleanse us from that way of thinking. We need to remember instead the way God thinks about us, that He loves us, that He forgives us, that He's accepted us, that He's for us, not against us, that our victory is in Him. He's not counting our sins against us. He's not sitting up there with some kind of giant adding machine counting up everybody's sins. He's not counting our sins against us. He's the one that's right, a long tape for me. He redeemed He's redeemed us. He's bought us back. He's bought us back. He's redeemed us from sin and He has bought us back paying the price in his own blood. That word redeemed means to buy back or to pay for like a ransom. When somebody gets kidnapped, there's always a ransom price that has to be paid. Sin had us prisoner. We were kidnapped by Satan. We were prisoners of him. And he demand, and the ransom was Jesus Christ going to the cross and pouring out his blood for our sins as our ransom price. He is the ransom for us. That's why we can have forgiveness of sin. That's why we can have all that we have in Christ. He's redeemed us, accepted us. He's set us free from darkness. Set us free from darkness. Colossians chapter 1. I may not have given you that one. Oops. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13 and 14. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He's delivered us from the power of darkness. We were, pr- we were prisoners. We were living in an area of darkness, in a place of darkness where Satan rules and reigns. But we were snatched out of that darkness we were snatched out of that kingdom of satan and he's conveyed us or transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption he snatched us away i just kind of picture i just kind of picture the old devil you know holding on holding on to somebody and jesus just coming up and just snatching it away snatching them away and that's what he's done for us. He has snatched us away from that power of darkness, from that place of darkness. He snatched us away. He comes to us in our. He comes to us in our place of Lodabar. I think it's in Second Samuel. I didn't. I didn't give them the scripture, and I've and it slipped my mind now where it is. But I think it's Second Samuel. But. David, after he became king, asked if there was anyone left from the house of Saul. And he was told that there was one, Mephibosheth, who lived in a place called Lodabar. Lodabar was known as a place of, the word Lodabar means a place of barrenness, of emptiness, a place of decay, a place of ruin, a place of failed dreams, a place of hopelessness a place of failure. And that's where Mephibosheth was. And so David goes to Lodabar, and you'll remember that Mephibosheth was crippled. And so the king rides up with all his officers and such, and Mephibosheth is probably peeking out the window, kind of fearful because the 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 norm when a person became king was to destroy or kill every all of the family of the previous king, so Mephibosheth had a reason to be concerned to put it mildly. but he come but David comes to Lodabar and he ca- calls for mephibosheth and he tells him to come out and today you will eat at my house. Today you will eat in my, in my home. You'll dine at my table. And as David the king coming to Lodabar and bringing Mephibosheth into the kingdom. Basically he's saying, Mephibosheth, you don't belong here. You you don't belong here in this place of barrenness and failure and decay and ruin. You belong at the table of a king, of the king. Some of us, some of us are not where we belong. Some of us are not where we belong. We're in the wrong place. I'm not talking about here in church. We're in the right place. Here in this church. <laughs> we're the best church we could possibly be in. Um, but we're in the wrong place because some of us are in a place, some of us are in a place of 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 barrenness, a place of a place where we're stuck. What I'm sensing is a place where we're just kind of stuck. It's a place where we're we're doing okay spiritually, but we're not doing as well as God wants us to do. We're not in the right place. And Jesus would have us to come out of that place of barrenness and decay and come into the kingdom, come, into the, come to the table of the king. Does that make any sense? We're not where we ought to be. We're some of us should be doing more than we're more than we're doing. I guess is what i'm what I'm sensing God say is that some of us should be doing more than we're doing spiritually. Some of us should be doing more than we're doing. We're not in the right place spiritually. We're too content to come and sit down in church every sunday and and you know and and sing some songs and hear a sermon and throw a few bucks in the offering plate and feel good when we leave. But we leave and go back to the same place we were, which is a place of sort of emptiness and no direction, a place where we're just stuck. And that's not where we belong. We're part of a kingdom. We're supposed to be involved in advancing the kingdom. And we can't do that just sitting... We can't do that just sitting. We need to do We need to do we need to do more. I'm not sure exactly what it is that we need to do. I'm just I'm sensing that we have to become more militant is the word I keep thinking. militant in advancing the kingdom. Militant in advancing the gospel, more more assertive, more aggressive, more. We just need to get busy about winning people to Christ. We need to get busy and discipling them and getting them and and getting them involved and in teaching and and. You know, there's a lot of folks out there who who need who need Jesus. We need to. We need to be where we're supposed to be, in terms of our—not just in our terms of devotion to Him, but in our—in the sense of our service, service to Him and serving others. The third point. You know, where does the time go? I got five. <laughs> Okay, I think I, I think I can wrap this up in 10 minutes. Can I have 10 minutes? Raise your hand if I can have 10 minutes. 10, 20, 30, 40. Yeah, that'll be enough. That'll work. That'll work. Thank you very much. Third, third thing. Third thing that God would have us to do, have me to do and have us to do, is to, to walk in love and to, to continue to develop that walk in love. Jack Winter in his book, The Homecoming, writes, inside of each of us, is a little child that needs to be loved. When we humble ourselves and admit that truth, then and only then can the Father come and minister his love to us. A little child within that needs to be loved. You know, God loves us so much. He tells us in Jeremiah 20, 29, 11, that he has plans for us, plans for peace, not for evil to give you a future and a hope. He tells us in Jeremiah thirty-one, three, that he, he loves us with an everlasting love. He will never stop loving us. He will never, ever stop loving us. His love is everlasting. Zephaniah 3, I'm just going to kind of... Tr- Go through this fairly quick. Zephaniah three seventeen. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. He rejoices over us with singing. That's how much he loves us. When we when you woke up this morning, God broke out into song. God started singing when you woke up. He rejoices over us with singing. John seventeen twenty three. I in them and you and me, that they may be perfect in unity and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. God loves you and me as much as he does his son Jesus. He loves us just as much. If God has a refrigerator, your picture's on it. His love toward us is pure, it's authentic, it's real, it's unconditional. And He's poured that love into us. Romans 5.5 5 says that His love is, is cascading into us to overflowing, overflowing so that we can share that love with other people. It needs to be, Our love toward others needs to be sincere. It needs to be real. Romans 12.9 says, let love be sincere. One of the, the interesting translations of that is, let love be without wax let love be without wax in the uh, in the days of paul the apostle there were there were potters who would make beautiful vases but occasionally some of them would get cracked and the potter the more dishonest ones would melt wax and fill in the cracks and the gaps and and paint over it or glaze over it so when you bought a vase or a piece of pottery you thought you were getting a genuine original brand new piece of pottery, but in fact it was defective Paul wrote in Romans 12 nine let your love be sincere let it be without wax no pretenses not fake original sincere love flowing out of you to other people as it's been been given been given to you so so area so these are just some areas I up a little longer than I really thought I would, um, but these are just some areas that we need to grow in, or I need to grow in. I think we all need to develop in to to reach that place where we're consistently living in purity and and living in power. Um, maybe I'll come back sometime and share some more areas that, but we'll see. We'll see about that. That'll be up to pastor. Anyway, that's what I've got. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to today's message from Identity Church. To know more about us, go to IdentityChurch.net, where you'll find resources such as a calendar, media, and upcoming events. You may also download an app for your mobile device from the Apple App Store or Google Play. Then from your mobile device, you can hear our messages. Read from the Bible, take notes, connect with us on the social media, and even pay your tithe. Again, thank you for tuning in to today's message from Identity Church.